Well, hello and welcome back to Kindled. I'm super excited to bring you a conversation that I got to have with Katie Faust, the founder of Them Before Us. Some of it may step on toes, maybe uh, the first time you've heard some of these ideas, but what Katie has to say is really important for us to listen to in this day and age where children are at the bottom of the totem pole of the priority list and those whose rights are considered. Them Before Us is all about children's rights before adult desires, and Katie believes in giving children a voice in the debate over family structure. So she believes it is important for children to have both a mother and a father. Uh, And so I'm excited that she got to come on today. Um, Aside from that, I want to remind you that you can subscribe to this podcast so you get all the episodes in your feed whenever they are available. Uh, I also want to make you aware that I am continuing to publish Firestarter episodes every week inside the locals community. So be sure and join us in there if you are caught up on Kindled, if you want to hear more from me throughout the week, if you want to get extra content. I share things there that I would not share on a public podcast that is available to everyone. Um, And those are always kind of culturally relevant, theological conversations, sometimes political, but they are usually a lot more down to the minute and um, up to date in terms of the news cycle and what's going on just because I'm recording them every week. And you can learn more at kindledpodcast.locals.com. All right, that is all I have for announcements. So let's listen in on my conversation with Katie Faust. All right, so today on Kindled, I am getting to chat with Katie Faust. Katie, thank you so much for being here today. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. So before we kind of get into the bulk of our conversation, could you introduce yourself to listeners and tell them who you are and what you do? Yeah. My name is Katie Faust, and I am the founder and director of the children's rights nonprofit, Them Before Us. Um, It is an organization that advocates for children's right to their mother and father. So most of us on the conservative world and the Christian world understand and agree and enthusiastically support children's right to life. And we have built an amazing uh, counter-revolution to the abortion movement based on a children's right to life. Well, children also have a right on this side of the womb, and that is a right to their own mother and father whenever possible. Um, And so we advocate for that child-centric right. What that means is um, we make every marriage and family issue about the child first, right? The definition of marriage. instances where divorce may be permissible and how divorce has gone so horribly wrong for America's children, Um, critiquing same-sex parenting, looking at the ways that the reproductive technology world has commodified um, and deprived children of their natural rights, and understanding adoption as a child-centric institution rather than a way for adults to get kids. So really, it's every marriage and family issue that first asks the question, what about the child? The first thing that I, you know, really drew me to your, you know, um, your advocacy was the fact that this was the first time I'd seen anyone approach these issues from the perspective of the child and putting the child first. And it's, um, it just speaks to the level of, you know, depravity that we've reached in culture, the level of selfishness that adults aren't even talking about children's issues around how it affects them. We're just talking about it, how it affects us. It's all about what we want, what serves our needs, how 
we need to be understood or we need to identify as a specific gender. We need people to see us for who we really are with zero concern for how that affects the child. Um, and so I just appreciate so much that you're kind of leading the charge in doing that. I yeah. have not, again, maybe you have, but I have not seen anyone else really changing the way we're having this conversation in that direction. Have you? Well, you know, you look at different news headlines or trends or whatever, and, you know, they look like they're all disconnected. You know, you've got celebrity couples using surrogates or, you know, headlines about, um, you know, trends in divorce, or we're still debating the definition of marriage through the, the Respect for Marriage Act that will probably be taken up in the lame duck session. And, you know, we're dealing with a friend that's struggling with infertility or um, we're considering adoption or whatever it is, right? And, you, and all these different topics that you think they're all different, but they're not. Mm -hmm. fundamentally, all of these topics have one thing in common, and it is, are you respecting or are you disregarding the rights of children? And even though there's different adults involved with different longings and losses and needs and desires and all of that, there are a few things that tie together all of these different um, issues, whether it's polygamy or cohabitation or no-fault divorce or what is the definition of marriage? Should we pass same-sex marriage or the use of sperm donation or egg donation or surrogacy or whatever it is, right? And here's the things that I think they all have in common. Number one, all these conversations are obsessively focused on what adults want. Have you noticed like the narrative is all about, well, this is my sadness. Well, this is my hope. Well, this is my desire. This is my struggle. It's always about the adults. It's always about the adults it's their sexual fulfillment or their romantic desires or their sexual identity mm -hmm. that takes center stage. But because sex is connected to children, it's always children who will sacrifice when we mm -hmm. exalt adult sexual desire and sexual identification as God, right? Um, the other thing that ties all of these different issues together is that when we get it wrong, children are forced to do hard things so adults can live as they please. And that's exactly opposite. In all of these cases, it really should be the adults who are sacrificing. So children's rights and needs are met. So I always try to kind of zoom out and talk about the big principles first, because you do have these large principles like adult desire being elevated to, you know, the ultimate position in these conversations, the importance of adults sacrificing for children, because only then can you really look at all of these kind of more microscopic questions about all these different subjects um, mm -hmm. in that larger context of children have a right to their mother and father, all adults, single, married, gay and straight, fertile and infertile need to sacrifice for kids and not the other way around. I mean, you're so dead on. It's, it's sad. It's actually, I mean, I hate how right everything you're saying is because what that means is that you know, everything, and we see this all over culture. I mean, I, ironically, I I brought up a topic on Instagram that I did not think would would really take off the way it has. And that was dogs, because these two little children last week in Nashville were mauled, you know, by their pet family pit bull. So I brought up this conversation about, um, you know, our how are we as parents elevating the rights or the safety, the protections of animals even mm. over children? And how are we exposing them to dangers that it's not worth risking in potential, you know, um, different situations, whether that's just aggressive breeds, whether that's treating dogs like children, whether that's equating them, not keeping them separate and one in, in the right place of hierarchy over another. And, you know, you would, you maybe not would be surprised by, um, by how many people were like, but the shelters are full. So we don't go telling people to give their dogs away. I'm like, 
I'm sorry, but the shelters being full is actually like not even a part of this conversation. That's a secondary, like that's something way down the road. I don't care what the, I don't care about the shelters being full. If it, if you're talking about the safety of my child, that is first and foremost, we can't even have a conversation about, you know, all those other things. If you won't even acknowledge that the safety of the child comes first. But what I saw in people was this resistance to that and this elevation of animals over children even in some cases and it was just like that's just one more way and and it's like one of these little microcosms of the very same issue that you're describing where we have reassigned value and children have fallen down the rung of the totem pole and and really i just see it as kind of a continuation of what we see in scripture of child sacrifice it's just taking a different form today than it used to well and i will tell you the other Thing, the other truism that you absolutely hit on in that thread is um, your narrative and your policy and your perspective is going to be defined by who you determine to be the victim. Okay, so you are properly identifying the children as the victims, right? Children are the victims of these aggressive breeds. You're getting opposition from people that say, no, 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 it's the dogs who are the victims. The dogs mm-hmm. are the victims, right? They're the ones that need protecting that same Um, tendency is absolutely at work in every single one of these marriage and family debates, right? You look Mm -hmm. at um, the debate around the definition of marriage and my organization submitted an amicus brief to the Supreme court when they redefined marriage. I said, children are the victims. You legalize gay marriage. You are making motherless and fatherless children. That is what you're doing. They're the victims. But the Mm -hmm. other side said, no, 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 no. Adults who experience same sex attraction, they're the victims if they cannot form the families that they want in matters of infertility, right? We look at the couple that we love so much that we desperately want to be parents and we and they say, they're the victims because they're dealing with infertility. No, 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 no. If your solution to that infertility is using a sperm donor or egg donor, you are creating a victim of a child who will go to bed every night, like many of these kids do, wondering who is my mother? Does she know that I exist? Have I passed her on the street today? If you look at a couple in a struggling marriage, Um, And my husband's a pastor. So when I am not children's rights activisting, I am in his office counseling couples that are dealing with very, very difficult things in their marriage. But if you say it's the married adults who are the victims and it's their desires or their suffering or their sadness around which we should orient our decision making rather than the kids who are going to live in split home and develop split lives and 50% of the time go on to develop a split personality because they're in two different homes. They are the victims. So properly identifying the victim is critical in all of these conversations. And when it comes to marriage and family, if you get the answer wrong, it will be children who are victimized 100% of the time. Yeah, that's so true. I mean, I just can't help but think, you know, I just came off this like extremely volatile topic and probably lost like 200 followers over it, which I don't care about that. But it's just interesting what people will leave over. It's like, I can say so many, you know, biblical truths that the second I say dogs are lower than people, people are like, I'm out, I am out. Um, but I, I can't help but think about everything you just mentioned. Like you have got to get a lot of pushback, even from your audience, like, uh, or your, your would-be audience, like Christians, right? Is that, right. is that true? Yes. Yes, absolutely. Because I don't know if there's three gods of our age, it's got to be safety, self and sex right now we're not dealing a whole lot with the safety thing except child safety is critical to this conversation but sex the god of sex the god of self has absolutely worked its way unfortunately into the world of many christians Mm -hmm. and 
unfortunately, it's changing the doctrines of many churches, right? You've got entire denominations that are compromising on the topic of God's design for sex and marriage, which listener, let the listener understand God's design for sex and marriage is simply child protection. That is it. You step away from God's design for sex and marriage in any form, premarital sex, adultery, same sex, sexual behavior, polygamy. It does not matter how you mess with God's design for sex. It always results in increased risk of abuse and neglect for children. Mm -hmm. God's design for sex and marriage between a man and a woman for life in an exclusive monogamous complementary union is God's plan A for child protection. And so if you're going to compromise on this, you, in the name of Christ, will make child victims. So this is unacceptable for Christians. And yet we have been conformed to the culture because we have not been transformed by the renewing of our mind through God's good design as prescripted in his world and has depicted in his word. Sorry, the other way around. It has been prescripted in his word and it has been depicted in his world, right? Mm-hmm. It is absolutely clear whether you're looking at revealed authority or whether you're looking at the natural law authority backed up by good social science that kids are safest, um, most protected, and most invested in when they are raised by their married biological mother and father. Um, so this is just, this is how we have got to look at this from the perspective, um, whether you're a Christian or you're just a realist, right? These are the realities that all of us need to acknowledge and bend to. Are you looking for a historically tried and true way to teach your children foundational truths from God's word? Then get started catechizing them today. Catechizing encourages not only children, but also adults to gain a helpful, systematic understanding of what the Bible teaches. The basics and commandment catechisms from alongside them are based off the children's shorter catechism. These are written with simple and short answers that are easy for your little ones to repeat and remember. A scripture reference is included on each page to dig deeper into God's word together. These are durable flip books with modern designs. Multiple ages can learn together from toddlers to parents, and they can easily be integrated into your Bible time, family worship, or morning basket. I talk about this all the time on Instagram, how we need to be teaching our children truths, simple truths they can remember and understand and recall to mind. I was catechized as a kid, and I still remember the questions and answers that my dad went through with us, and I treasure the fact that those are ingrained in me, and it's so important to me to do the same with my kids. Go to their website at comealongsidethem.com, and be sure to use the discount code KINDLED5, that's kindled the number five for five dollars off your order again check out the basics and commandment catechisms at comealongsidethem.com and use the discount code kindled five for five dollars off what is your most common opposition from someone who would be a, a self-described believer or follower of jesus like what is the response that you most often hear from them who are like yeah yeah or uh, i don't know what 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 is behind their um you know kind of refusal to hear this message yeah the big sticking point and interestingly it's the same for people that lean left and lean right is that biology matters in the parent-child relationship so chapter one of our book we detail why children have a right to their mother and father Why, if you acknowledge that children have a right to life, um, 
you can use those same, you can and should use those same um, methods of criteria to determine that children have a right to their mother and father as well. Um, we talk about why people on the left and people on the right aren't gonna get anything they want unless they defend this fundamental child right. But then chapter two, we go straight into why biology matters in the parent-child relationship. And this triggers the left because this is a wrecking ball to all of their arguments for modern family. And it triggers the right because we have spent so much time talking about adoption as an alternative to abortion. And many people on the right feel like if you say anything negative about adoption, right, if you dare to say that maybe there is some kind of loss involved in adoption, that you're driving people towards abortion. So both of them have these kind of sacred cows that they have to just take a step back and be rational about. So um, for all of your people that lean right in your audience who are already triggered because I'm talking about the importance of biology. I'll skip ahead and say, I'm an adoptive mom. I used to be the assistant director at the largest Chinese adoption agency in the world. I am pro adoption, but I also don't lie to my kid or to um, any other kid out there and say, this solves all your problems. It doesn't, right? Adoption is a just society's response to children who have lost their mother and father, but it begins with and often leaves a lifelong wound for kids. So um, it's the biology matters um, aspect of the parent-child relationship that is probably the one that I get the most pushback on. So I'll just give you a quick rundown of mm -hmm. why biology matters in the parent-child relationship. Um, first of all, while there are abusive biological parents, statistically, a child's own mother and a child's own father are going to be the safest, most connected to, most protective of, and most invested in their kids. Mm -hmm. And we've got decades and decades of research in terms of like step parents and step families and blended families and unrelated adults treat their children differently. Not all of them. Thank God there's amazing godly exceptions and wonderful stepfathers mm -hmm. and wonderful stepmothers who are seeking to fill the wound, fill the hole left by a negligent biological parent but statistically, any two will not do. Mm -hmm. A child is the safest um, and most loved and cared for in the home of their own biological married parents. The second reason why biology matters in the parent-child relationship is because only those two adults grant something that children crave, and that is their biological identity. Like every kid, especially in adolescence, is asking the question, who am I? Mm -hmm. And the world is happy to tell them who they are. It will be an identity that is centered around their own sexual desires or sexual identification. But historically um, and holistically, children are made to answer that question of who am I in the context of whose am I? Mm -hmm. And that importance of biological identification and connection is actually the reason why adoption has shifted largely from closed adoptions 50 years ago to now 95% of adoptions have some degree of openness because kids still long, long to know from who they, whom they came, even if they can't be raised by those adults. And that is why we see high rates of identity struggles in children created through sperm and egg donation, because it is destabilizing. It is unsettling to not know the people responsible for your existence. And the third reason why biology matters is because if you can respect a child's right to be known and loved by their mother and father, by the two people who made them, you get the perfect gender balance in the home every time. You maximize child development by having a 
female parent and a male parent who approach and connect with children in radically different but complementary ways. Mm. Yeah, that's so interesting and so true. You mentioned the a, embryo adoption and um, filtered through this worldview and this, this um, not maybe worldview is not the right word, but filtered through your understanding of these topics. Like how would you view something like that, for instance? Yeah, I think that this, the question of embryo adoption is probably the most complex mm-hmm. of all the questions because it is the intersection between the child-centric institution of adoption and the adult-centric marketplace of reproductive mm-hmm. technologies. So I will do the best I can to give mm-hmm. a brief rundown, but for the people that really wanna understand this, we spend all of chapter seven talking about sperm and egg donation. Mm-hmm. We spend all of chapter eight talking about surrogacy and the harms of surrogacy. We spend all of chapter nine talking about adoption and then contrasting adoption and reproductive technologies. Mm -hmm. And we do have a section in chapter eight about embryo adoption specifically. So Mm -hmm. if you want more information, it exists, you should get it and you should become an expert on this. So to start with, um, let's talk about IVF. Okay. IVF is at, and and if you want to talk about things that trigger Christians, right. That trigger people on our Mm -hmm. side, it is saying IVF is not child-friendly technology. Okay, Um, only about seven to eight percent of children created in a laboratory, which is what IVF is, will be born alive. The vast majority of them will die in the process, spend their life in a freezer, be donated to research, won't survive the transfer or they'll be selectively reduced. They'll be aborted, you know, in in terms of quality control or quantity control or whatever it is. So IVF is not about making babies, (laughs) unfortunately. The IVF, the big fertility, the the reproductive doctors out there statistically take a lot more life than the abortion industry every year, right? Mm -hmm. About in 2019, the last time we've got the numbers for this, you have about 900,000 children out of a million that didn't make it through the IVF cycle and around 700,000 children that were killed through abortion. So the baby making industry kills more embryonic life than the baby taking industry. Mm -hmm. Okay, so first of all, that's what you need to know about lab created babies. And then the ones that are not deemed the wrong sex or they're not, they don't make the grade and they're not just discarded outright, they'll be stored in a freezer. So right now we have about 1 million embryos on ice in this country. 20 to 40% of them have been functionally abandoned. You've got kids with a distinct DNA, like, and fully, you know, like conceived, like in a, as a pro-lifer, you say that is a baby frozen in a freezer, 20 to 40% of them have been abandoned. Nobody's Mm -hmm. paying their storage fee. They can't track down their parents, whatever. Okay. So what is the answer then to those surplus embryos, right? Because that's really the question is what is, what do we do with those surplus embryos? Well, the answer is they are the very real children of the people that made them go get them, go get those kids. They are your responsibility. Just like the first part of the question of traditional adoption is not give these kids to someone else. The answer is parenting. If you find yourself in an unplanned pregnancy, the solution is not find someone else to raise the kids. The solution is you mom and you dad who made the baby must now conform your life, must now alter your expectations, must now mature and grow up in ways that maybe you weren't anticipating or expecting to. So this child's fundamental right to life and right to their mother and father can be respected. Mm. It is, as we say in the children's rights world, the importance of adults doing hard things for kids. Because if they don't, you're just gonna make the child do hard things for you. 
So when it comes to those 1 million surplus embryos, the answer is go get your kids, implant them. They are not items to be given away to somebody else or donated. They should not be donated to research, right? Which is one of the um, options, according to the American Society of Reproductive Medicine for people who have surplus embryos. That is a baby. It is your baby. Go get them. Now, in the case where there is genuine abandonment, in a case where there is incapacity on behalf of the mother or the or the, um, the parents that made the baby, sometimes embryo adoption is the only option, right? But in that case, you have to go into it with the exact same mentality that adoptive parents like me went into our adoption with. Not that, oh, this is going to solve all the kids' problems, but rather I am here to shepherd my child and help them to unpack or process through any of the wounds or struggles that he's going to experience because he was relinquished by his first family. Um, and so it, you have to go into it, not with an entitlement attitude, this child exists for me, but rather an attitude of sacrifice, I exist for them. Mm -hmm. um, I did write a couple articles on embryo adoption. One of them is at the Federalist where I quote several children created through sperm donation who talk about how they're very concerned when it comes to children of embryo adoption and embryo donation, because if they had struggles and they were raised by one of their biological parents, they can't imagine the kind of distress that these children who were separated from both biological parents through a commercial process, what kind of struggles they're going to face. Mm -hmm. Yeah, man, it just makes me, it makes my heart hurt to think of how far we have gone down this road already i mean it feels like almost man how do we even begin to go back like i wish everyone could hear your voice and hear you saying go get them and be convicted you know to actually take take the right action the, the ethical and moral action that they should um and yet i also know that as a result of living in the fallen world that we do a lot of that is not going to be redeemed this side of heaven and um it's heavy. I mean, it's, it's a heavy reality that you sit in every day, I'm sure, especially doing all the research for this. Yeah, it is. And, um, and really, you know, we go back to that mantra all the time of adults need to do hard things for kids. That is really the theme of all of this and all of these different scenarios. You've got genuine struggle, whether it's the couple in the struggling marriage or the couple with struggling with infertility or the adult struggling with same-sex attraction or the woman career woman who's struggling with singleness um all of these areas involve genuine struggle for the adults mm -hmm. right well we created eight embryos um we implanted three now we've got three and we're completely overwhelmed by these three and we're still mm -hmm. in debt from our ivf cycle and yet we have these other five mm -hmm. right what are we supposed to do well all of these scenarios have something in common and that is Either the adults will do the hard thing or the children will do the hard thing. Mm. Someone's going to do the hard thing. So we think that it should be the adults and it is going to be hard. It is hard to mend a struggling marriage. It is mm -hmm. hard to deal with infertility. It is a burden. If you have same sex attraction and want to form a family, your challenge is to figure out how to resolve your struggles without forcing kids to sacrifice for you. I, I love that. I love that line. Like someone's going to do the hard thing. Who's it going to be? And that is the right answer. It should be the adults. Mm -hmm. Let's shift gears a little bit to talking about the trans movement because, um, man, I cannot be the only one. I know I'm not the only one who feels like someone stepped on an anthill 
of, you know, of whatever, um, is, is just this in many set in, in many ways, it just seems this manufactured, very fake, superficial. It, I mean, so much of it is just superficial, like, you know, men wearing prosthetic boobs and shoving fake butts in their pants and twerking for children and showing up at parks. And I'm just, I, I feel like every time I open my feed, I see some new, you know, depraved video. And I, I want to stop seeing the videos to be honest, because it's very disturbing, but it's also, it also does feel very manufactured. And so part of me is like, I don't know how much of this is actually genuinely someone saying I'm trans and let me be trans versus just a demonic expression of wickedness and evil. And maybe both, I don't know, but um, what are your thoughts on where that is at right now. I mean, obviously we had a summer of drag shows for children and so much else that I'm just like, what in the actual is going on and where are the parents? Oh, wait, they're at the show with their child. Like that's that's where they are. Yeah. So I've got thoughts. I've got thoughts. I've got thoughts on this Um, from the children's rights perspective. You know, I speak in a lot of different places and I'll often go to, you know, I was in Czech Republic last year. I was in Hungary and Albania earlier this year. And I'll tell people, they're like, oh, that transgender stuff in America, that's crazy. I'm like, yeah, it is crazy. And you know how we got here? Gay marriage, mm-hmm. honestly. Because if if gender does not matter in marriage, it doesn't matter anywhere. That is a place where it matters most. So if you're going to say men and women are optional, interchangeable, swappable in the institution of marriage, prepare. Prepare. Mm-hmm. Because if it doesn't matter there, it doesn't matter anywhere. Right. Um, second of all, like from a children's rights perspective, right, um, in terms of the whole point of them before us is to put them, the children, before us, the adults. In all of these conversations about marriage and family, we put them first. We put children first. That's not to say that adults don't have their own longings, losses, struggles. We do, but it cannot override children's fundamental rights and well-being, okay? So there's very few. And so what happens when we get that backwards? We say us before them, That just means kids become accessories. They become items to be cut and pasted into any and every adult relationship. Mm -hmm. They come in despite their loss of a mother or father or both, right? They exist to validate me. They exist to um, fit into my lifestyle and my sense of identity. You will see that no more strongly displayed than in things like drag queen story hour, right? Mm -hmm. Children have a right to innocence. They're not small adults. They're not just miniature adults with the same capacity to reason and Mm -hmm. to process and to think critically about what they're viewing. And so it is such an us before them, right? Mm -hmm. To take that innocence of children and put them in front of a very disturbing caricature, overly Mm -hmm. sexualized version of womanhood, right? Mm -hmm. And it really is like, that is where you see These children exist for the validation of that adult. That's Mm -hmm. really what you're doing. You're using the innocence of children, the fact that they can't articulate what's going on, the fact that they cannot defend their own rights, the fact that they cannot say, stop sexualizing me. And we are saying, you exist for me. You Mm -hmm. and your innocence and your clapping and your ability to toddle over and stick a dollar bill in my thong or whatever it is. I need that. Mm -hmm. You're validating me, right? And Mm -hmm. so to me, that's just another extension of children as accessories for adults. So I saw it first in the marriage and family debate. We are absolutely seeing that when it comes to the transgender debate as well. Our next sponsor is So Simple Sight Words. So Simple Sight Words gives learners a chance to own sight words using the proven techniques developed by veteran elementary school teacher, Patty So. 
The four volume bundle includes all four volumes of sight word cheers, flashcards, and practice sentences, plus a teacher's manual and full month of activities. Any of us who have taught kids how to read understand how frustrating it can be to uh, hit up those sight words that you know your child is going to need in order to be a fluent and successful reader, but be at a loss of how to help them master those. We've done the flashcards, we've done the repetition, and yes, sometimes that can work, but what about if that isn't working for your kid? And what if your kid is just flat out bored with sight words? This program is your solution. So simple is word ownership, it helps with fluency, and it's fun. Visit SoSimpleSightWords.com to learn more and use promo code KINDLED to get 20% off your order. Again, that is SoSimpleSightWords.com to learn more and use the promo code KINDLED to get 20% off your order. Yeah, that's so true. I agree 100% with what you said about um, this starts at gay marriage. And it is just like, um, I know that you're friends with... um, my friend over at uh, Rachel Reeves over at here are the headlines and or you've done, you know, done a live with her and um, yeah, she's awesome. But she put up a graphic recently that was like the slippery slope. And she was like, put all these points along the top of the slope. Like you're overreacting, you're overreacting, you're overreacting. And then at the bottom of the slope was this person is teaching our children. And it was just like the, the man with the really ridiculous right. fake boobs. Prosthetics, that um, yeah. Yes. And And I just was like, that is so disturbingly true and accurate that everyone wants to say you're overreacting. How does it affect you? Why do you care so much? Why are you, why are you being so hateful? Why are you being bigoted? Why are you making people, uh, you know, live by your personal ethic? They don't believe in your God. They don't believe in your Bible. They don't believe in your religion. What's your problem? What is someone doing in their bedroom? How does that affect you? Mm -hmm. Well, (laughs) you're watching how. Because it didn't have to affect me when gay marriage became legalized when I was too young to probably even fully understand what was going on. I I remember it kind of, I think I was probably, you know, late high school, early college. I I was cognizant of it. But, you know, at the same time, I was like, I don't know, does that affect me? Here we are. Here's where it has brought us. The sexual revolution of, you know, of the 2000 whatevers, the 2000s has resulted in like what you just described children putting dollar bills in the thongs of grown men dressed as women are undressed as women. And what I, uh, you know, what I, I still don't know that most Christians even understand is, is that that is where we are. And that's why we're here. I don't, I don't know that people have made that connection. Sadly, I think that they view this as a perversion of something. I think a lot of them would be willing to say that like, well, I don't, that's a little too far, but why? Because there's just no logical stopping point when you, like you said, when you can interchange roles, interchange genders, interchange sex sexes or um, same sex attractiveness, there is no logical place to stop. It doesn't make sense because all of those guardrails and safety rails that are there for us in scripture have been removed. And there is now no more, there's no reasonable place to stop the train from going all the way down the hill and just crashing. And so that's where we're at. Um, I know that a lot of, I, I've seen recently, a lot of Christians even say, I shouldn't say a lot, but I've, I've seen this concept several times. I don't know which politician is popularizing this idea, but they've said, I think that government should just get out of marriage entirely mm-hmm. because it's a biblical 
office. It's, or it's a, you know, it's something that the Bible prescribes and mandates for, for believers, but I don't know that I agree with that. What are, I'm curious what your thoughts would be on that. And and should the government just wash its hands of marriage altogether and say, we're not going to have anything to do with it. I'm like, that just seems like we're going to progress down the slippery slope even harder and faster. Well, government cannot make marriage is great. Okay. So there's, there's definitely a stopping point where government can't do much, but what you incentivize, you get more of. Okay. And for a long, long time, government incentivized single motherhood. And you, you know what we got more of, we got more single motherhood, right? And right now our structure of no fault divorce incentivizes bad behavior. Like it actually gives, if you've been in the close proximity to um, a couple that's divorced where one cup, one person in the, one of the spouses was sort of innocent and trying to be faithful and seeking to keep it together. And you had the other one that was like, like breaking their vows or running around or being addictive or abusive, whatever, right? Which of those spouses has the most power in divorce proceedings? It is the misbehaving spouse because no fault divorce laws in essence forces you to be, to treat both of them equally. It's not, you don't get to, as a judge, like add weight or give preference to the innocent spouse that's seeking to be a good mom or be a good dad or parent the kids or whatever it is, right? Whatever you incentivize, you get more of. And as a country, we need more of mothers and fathers raising their children together. That means you have to make a distinction. You have to make a distinction between those two adults versus any other household structure. And that is now what we are prohibited from doing since gay marriage was legalized. We are not allowed to make any distinctions, even though in the world of of children's rights, a man and a woman raising their children together is not just different. It's the polar opposite from two men raising their children together. In this household, the child's fundamental rights, well-being, needs, and development are going to be maximized and protection. In this household, the child is required to lose a mother or a father to be in that union, right? And so we don't need government to get out. We need government to get in. We need them to reinforce. We need them to incentivize mothers and fathers committing to one another and committing to their children. What happens if we don't, right? All those people that are like, government should get out of marriage. Okay, well, I'll tell you what, Republicans, we tackled this in the first chapter of our book. You want responsible citizens. You want small government, right? You want low taxes. You get nothing. You get none of that without big marriage, without mothers and fathers raising, and not generic marriage, the marriage that unites the two people to whom children have a natural right, their mother and father. If you do not have that, if you have other forms of family structure, other forms of arrangements, you are going to have your foster care system filled. You are going to have your high school counselors working overtime. You are going to have your prisons overflowing to capacity. You're going to have homeless youth on the street. You're gonna have high suicide rates, high teen, su- teen pregnancy, high dropout rates. Why? because all of these social ills have something in common. They're overpopulated with fatherless children. You Republicans get nothing you want if you cannot incentivize big marriage and government has a role in that. To my friends on the left who care about all of those social issues, who are manning the crisis pregnancy, you know, the crisis suicide hotline, the ones that are volunteering to help the at-risk students, the ones that are donating to get homeless youth off the street, you get nothing. Because no amount of government funding or government organizations is going to be able to love a child. And that child wants the love of their mother and father. So this idea that we should just get out of marriage. Yeah. As long as you don't want anything else in the world, as long as you don't care about any of the other priorities, whether you're on the left or the right, sure, get out of marriage. But if you actually want a thriving society, 
we culturally have to reinforce the importance of men and women committing to one another prior to sex and staying together throughout life. Otherwise, we're not going to have a thriving society. There is no substitute. There's no family structure substitute. There's no governmental substitute for a man and a woman raising their children together. Mm-hmm. So what does that look like? Um, I, I don't even remember what it was before no fault. What, what, what did the result of a divorce look like before no fault divorce? Yeah. Chapter five of our book is about divorce. We begin by talking about how we used to have a system in this country that recognized at-fault divorce. Mm -hmm. There are times to divorce. It's always hard on kids, but there are times where divorce is justified. Mm -hmm. When it's massively high conflict slash violent, when there is addictive, abusive behavior, when there has been abandonment on behalf of one spouse. But the amazing thing about that system is it rewards the faithful spouse. It actually increases marital commitment and good behavior within marriage because there are penalties Mm -hmm. if you break your vows, right? Now we have a system of no-fault divorce where you can leave for any and every reason. And, you know, we've actually studied this and it's the kids of these low-conflict marriages where the parents just fell out of love, where there wasn't abuse, where there wasn't like people throwing plates across the kitchen. Those kids from those divorces actually fare worse than the kids from the high-conflict marriages because what those kids learn about marriage is anyone can leave me at any time for any reason. And I may never see it coming. Mm. It's those kids who struggle uniquely to form their own romantic partnerships and maintain their own healthy marriages. When they grow, we have so wrecked an entire generation of children Mm. in this country through no fault divorce policy. Um, And honestly, one of the reasons why conservatives and Christians lost credibility on the topic of marriage is because we failed to speak up about divorce because a lot of us were getting them right? Or a lot of our friends were getting them or we're like, well, it's not that bad. Well, it is right. So that's one thing we do with them before us is we say, we're going to stand unflinchingly on the rights of the child. And we understand that's going to piss some people in our camp off, but kids are worth it. Kids are worth speaking the truth about. Right. Mm -hmm. But it also means that we can create a pretty incredible coalition because we've got people at every level of our organization who the world would call gay or who have been divorced, or who have been single parents, or whatever, or were the children of divorce, or were the child of a single parent. And when you stand unflinchingly on the rights of the child, and you say, all adults, all adults who want to protect kids on this side, and we're going to critique every practice that seeks to violate children's rights, regardless of whether or not the people that are doing it are on our side, right? Mm -hmm. So it's a, we're kind of fringy, we're kind of ragtag, but I'll tell you what, um, this is how you actually deliver the kind of answers that the next generation is hungry for. Mm. I love it. I mean, uh, it's down and dirty and you're not messing around. So I appreciate the, just the brute, the brutal, uh, commitment really to, like you said, standing on the side of, uh, of defending children, of speaking for children, of putting them before us. And I know that this is a personal thing for you. I know some of your story just from listening to other interviews with you, but if um, I wonder if you'd want to share kind of what, uh, what kind of prompted you maybe to get into this space, into this conversation? Yeah. Like what prompted me um, because, you know, I, I'm really kind of non-confrontational normally. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I didn't want, I st- I stayed out of the fight too long because I was scared and I didn't want to lose friends. And I like lean to the grace giving side of things. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't like to, I don't like to rock the boat, but what got me into this is I was pissed. 
I was absolutely pissed because in the marriage debate, you had all of these huge mouthpieces, media mouthpieces or people on the left, um, Democrats saying kids don't care if they have two moms or two dads. That means kids don't care if they've lost their mom or dad. And I'm like, you know what? F you. Because I have, I have worked with kids for so long and there is no deeper, more abiding wound than a kid whose father bailed on them or whose mother abandoned them or who they never met. And they sit there wondering like, where is he? Why did he leave? I mean, you're really, really politicizing the greatest wounds and heartaches that kids experience. The other reason why I got into this is because the other side was saying the only possible reason you could have to support traditional marriage is bigotry. You hate gay people. Mm. You're phobic. And I'm like, uh, get behind me, Satan. <laughs> you know, it was mm-hmm. such garbage. Um, my parents divorced when I was 10. My dad dated and remarried. And soon after that, my mom fell in love with a woman and they've been together ever since. So I spent a pretty good chunk of my childhood living in their home. Um, like I look at all these little blue haired activists and I'm like, honey, I've been living with lesbians longer than you've been alive. So, you know, why don't you just have a seat? Okay. Those accusations of phobia, phobia or bigotry or hatred or animus, it just falls away because like you and like almost everybody else that's listening to this, you have family and friends who are gay. You love them. I hope that you are among the top people in their life who initiate relationship and sacrifice for them. Because I know a lot of Christians and I know a lot of Christians who support traditional marriage and this is what they do, right? They welcome their friends who identify as gay and lesbian. They just refuse to bend. And that's what we need to do. We need to aggressively love our family and friends who are gay and not give one inch on the topic of marriage, whether it is the civil definition or the biblical definition, because as Christians, we don't make child victims, we protect them. The next sponsor I wanna tell you about is Cornerstone Curriculum. And this sponsor is going to make your decisions around what you teach your children in regards to biblical worldview incredibly simple. I completed their four-year program, Worldviews of the Western World in high school, and they have many other resources available for students of all ages. This is not only for homeschool families, although it is perfect if you do homeschool. Um, even if your kids are in a private or a public school, they have resources for you. They have a Answers for Difficult Days Bible study, Starting Points Worldviews Primer, video series, so much more. Check out their website at cornerstonecurriculum.com and be sure to use the coupon code KINDLED for 5% off. That's KINDLED for 5% off and visit their website at cornerstonecurriculum.com. What you just said is is so good but so hard because what we come up against when we do what you just described is, but that isn't love, mm-hmm. right? Like the way you're describing to love is, is to not bend, but culture has redefined love in so many ways that uh, those around us, our friends, whether they are gay or straight or it doesn't matter, have believed the lie. They have accepted the redefinition of terms and they are now measuring us by that standard. I mean, we have lost friends over this, over, you know, um, even when he came out, my one of my husband's best friends from college came out to him and he said, you know, like, thank you for trusting me with that. I love you. I'm here for you. Went on a few months you know, I shared something that our pastor actually, it was like a recording of our pastor preaching one Sunday morning, something he said triggered this guy. And he was like, well, you're not invited to my wedding. And from there on it, 
it just fizzled everything well it really exploded and he was like basically if you don't say that this is okay for me and that you are so that you affirm me you are you are supportive of my life choices you can't I, I won't agree to disagree because you're being hateful and I won't associate it with someone hateful and we had to say no we, right. we won't affirm it like we do love right. you and we have loved you and nothing we've done or said has been unloving but we can't affirm your choices because we disagree and actually we've always felt this way so I don't know why you're suddenly realizing this but um but really you know and and he had to make that choice and so I think what's hard for people is they hear you say love and they're like okay but how you know and it's like in spirit and in truth that's right don't change definitions you don't bend you don't waver you don't um you're not playing chicken with someone because these these are not our words and these are not even our our feelings ultimately our emotions or our expression of these things these are these are god's definitions these are things that god has invented and created and he gets to say what they are and we have to live in submission and underneath that what would you add to that yeah that's exactly right and what i you know my book then before us um there's no scripture in it right i i'm a pastor's wife the bible is my highest authority there is no scripture in my book And yet it will validate every single thing that God says when it comes to his design for sex in marriage. Why? Because it is God's truth. He did define it. He did name it, but it's not arbitrary. I think that's the problem is there's, we have had an inadequate apologetic for Mm -hmm. God's design for sex and marriage. We know what the Bible says. We don't know why it says it sometimes. And when Mm -hmm. you can't back it up with the why, what your friend hears is, well, sure, I hear that that's what you're saying, that God believes, but he's a homophobic bigot too, right? Mm-hmm. And so the answer is that actually um, we need to have a robust defense. I actually think that this is the battleground. This is the place where culture is crashing against the shores of God's truth. And it's at that intersection that we need to have a rational defense. Um, and I, you know, in those situations, you've felt it. I've dealt with it. All of us are going to have to encounter it at some point. You know, my encouragement is know what the word says, be able to articulate why it matters, plant your feet firmly on the truth. And if your friendship breaks up, it is because they walked away, not you. You don't walk away from that friendship. Okay. You plant your feet and you don't move. If the, if the relationship breaks up, it's because they're moving away from you, not because you're moving away from them and not because you're moving away from truth. Okay. Like we do have to, I, first Peter chapter two, first Peter is the culture warriors book of the Bible. Okay. So if you need a little bit of encouragement direction, first Peter is, is your book, but I love how it talks about how Christ is the cornerstone that the builders rejected. Mm-hmm. but he has become the capstone, right? The only kind of thing that you can build a house on is a rock. It has to be a rock. It can't be Play-Doh. It can't be hay. It can't be stubble. It can't be sticks. It has to be a rock, right? That rock is solid enough to build our life on. But a couple of verses later, it says it has become a stumbling stone, right? For those mm-hmm. who reject God's truth. So notice God's truth of who he is and what he says And these days, that means in the arena of sex and gender and marriage, his rock about the reality of maleness and femaleness and the importance of the two of them coming together in a lifelong union, that rock, you can either build your life on 
or you're going to trip over it. And a lot of Christians see people stumbling over God's truth for sex and marriage. And we think, oh my gosh, they're getting hurt. They're falling. So let's make that not a rock. Mm-hmm. Let's squish it down. Let's turn it into Play-Doh instead. Let's just soften the blow by having the rock become a pillow instead. Do not do that. Because if you compromise on God's design for sex and marriage, children will pay the price. And that is a cowardly move. Mm-hmm. Yes. Amen. That's so true. And like you just mentioned that verse, I mean, it was true for the Jews who stumbled over Christ because they did not see him as the Messiah. And it's true today for those who would profess the same way the Jews did to be the religious people, those who are following the law, they're just trying to love their neighbor. But when they refuse to acknowledge that standard that God has put in place, that cornerstone, that rock, that system, this design that he has created for the good of people and his own glory, which is a reason in and of its own. It's enough of it's enough of a reason. But it's also like you've been saying, it's good for us. It's good for children. It mm-hmm. has all of these pragmatic benefits to society that are so obviously you know, evident. And when you look around at the state of the world, um, but yeah, in the same way, those modern, whether they're progressive Christians or just uninformed and um, worldly Christians, Um, or not Christians at all, people who like the label, you know, they are rejecting that standard, that definition, you know, that, like you said, I love the the visual of you are standing on the truth. You are not walking away from them. You are saying like, I cannot move sort of like the Martin Luther, you know, here I stand, I can do no other. I cannot recant what I have said, I believe, because it is not coming from me. I, it is coming from an authority over me, greater than me. And, um, I won't defy him does not mean I'm rejecting you. It means I am rejecting some of the choices you're making. And I'm saying, I don't agree with that. That's wrong. Here's the implications of that. And here's why. But, um, but yeah, I just love that, that perspective and that picture. And we also know that scripture says that, um, you know, he did not come to bring peace, but a sword and that his word would divide, you know, mother from mother-in-law and um, brother from father, you know, so we, we know that that is also, we, we should expect that to happen to some degree and um, trust that also God will use those times for our refinement and for our sanctification and to teach us that, you know, our, our identity is not in what other people say about us, what they think of us, how they talk about us behind our back, but in Christ alone. Yep. That's exactly right. And uh, if you find yourself in that place, you're in good company because my mm-hmm. idol is at the affirmation of people. Mm -hmm. So I've had to die. I've had to kill that idol over and over and over and over. Um, I would never have guessed that based on the work that you're doing. Yeah, it really is. Like, you know, God often calls us to the things where we have to rely on him the most. And that's Mm -hmm. definitely the case for me. So, um, but, but I fear God. Mm -hmm. I fear that if I am complicit in causing little ones to stumble, I don't Mm -hmm. want to participate in the kind of, I don't want to be enjoined to the kind of consequences that God has assigned to people that cause little ones to stumble. I won't participate. Right. You don't, you don't want to hop in that noose with the millstone around your neck and end up at the bottom of the sea. Yeah. Same man. Well, Katie, I just really appreciate everything you're doing. Um, where can people connect with you online, follow you all that I'm on all the media platforms. Um, so I'm on too much. Let's just put it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but please come to the website, thenbeforeus.com. Go to the bottom and subscribe. We have so much going on. 
We are um, a global children's rights movement. We are going to translate all of these child-centric concepts into every language. We are seeking to change hearts. We are seeking to change laws. We want a global takeover. We want to shape the way every person thinks and talks about every marriage and family issue, whether it's culturally or in the courtroom, um, this needs to be the dominant lens through which everybody views marriage and family issues. Um, so join us, you know, get on our mailing list so you can stay up on everything that we've got going on, participate. We're going to have opportunities for people to get more involved coming up or starting a training program. We're going to be launching a podcast. Um, this awesome. is the future of, you know, reclaiming marriage and family, honestly. So yeah, find us on social media, subscribe. We would love for you not to be a stranger. Perfect. Well, I'll make sure and link the website and some of your channels in the show notes for people so they can find that easily. Yeah. Thanks Great. again and if, for coming. And on. if you want to be an expert, you can read the book and you will come out absolutely bulletproof when it comes to arguing on behalf of kids. I love it. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing with us today. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening today. I pray that that episode encouraged and edified you and built up your faith and uh, reminded you that you are not alone in the fight that we are waging and that that war is bigger than even a culture war. It is a spiritual battle that is taking place. And um, I just think that these conversations, hearing from people who are on the front lines of that war as well as we are is just really um, emboldening for me and it encourages me and reminds me that I am not alone and God is building his church. He is the one doing it and um, but look at what an amazing impact he can he can have in the world through us when we choose to uh, get on board and choose to stand up and say what is true and stand for him and, and be bold and unashamed of his gospel. So uh, thank you for listening. Be sure and uh, subscribe. Come follow me on Instagram at Haley.Kindled or Kindled.Haley. Um, I believe it might be a little too soon to say, but I think that Instagram has unpenalized my account, my main account. Like, it's very weird. People can suddenly tag me. All of the stories that they had flagged on my account are now, I can't see them. So I think I might be back normal which would be awesome but um anyways just come find me there that's where i hang out during the week and uh i always love hearing from you guys all right have a great week and i will see you next time